You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's a pretty categorical statement. All things. All things. Not most things, not some things. All things. If a thing is a thing, it will work together for good, for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. There's some things, when I look at them, I think, well, that doesn't seem good. In fact, there are some things that are not good. There is such a thing as sin, evil, Destruction, death, these are things that are not good. And the promise of this scripture is not that there aren't any bad things or that nothing bad will ever happen or that only good things happen. No, the promise of this scripture is that even the bad things that happen will be worked even when I don't see it, you're working. There's a common expression in the church, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. God is good in the bad times. even when we don't see it. He's working. The text we're looking at today is in Hebrews chapter 11. We've only got a couple more chapters in the book of Hebrews, and we're coming to the end of this one today. Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is a famous text of Scripture. It gets quoted a lot. It gets referred to a lot. It's called the Hall of Faith. It's a bunch of Old Testament personalities and people that are listed and described with the expression, by faith, by faith, by faith. Well, and we're coming to this part right here in verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of. So he's, he has been making his way through the story of the Old Testament. I don't know if you noticed, but he, he started with Abel. That's at the beginning. <laughs> and he's proceeded in order. And he got to Moses, and then he got to the Passover, and the P 
people of Israel, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. And it's as though here in verse 32, he suddenly realizes that he doesn't have time to review, to do the whole thing in the sort of detail he's been doing it in. And so he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. You've all heard of Gideon, yes? Barak. You know who Barak is? He's less famous than Gideon. Uh, Samson, we know him for sure. Jephthah, not so much. You know who Jephthah is? David, we know. Samuel, we know. And the prophets. So here's what he just did. He was on Joshua, yeah, where the people, they went and by faith they conquered the city of Jericho. So he's done Joshua. What's after Joshua in the Bible? Anyone know? Judges, the book of Judges. Gideon is a judge. Gideon's a judge, Barak's a judge, Samson's a judge, Jephthah's a judge. Those are all characters in the story of the book of Judges who did something or other by faith, apparently. And then there's this big, long list of things they did by faith, and I've made the list. I've given you the list in the bulletin. I just listed them out from 1 to 15. 15 things that various that uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets might have, well, did. And here's the list. They conquered kingdoms. Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. They worked righteousness. Or another way of saying that is they enforced justice. They ruled in righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. You know, there's at least three characters in the Old Testament that shut the mouths of lions. David, Samson, Daniel, one of the prophets. They quenched the power of fire. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? You know what they said when Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, bow down or I'm throwing you in the furnace. They said, well... We're not doing that, <laughs> O king. We believe that our God is the God of gods, sovereign over all things, including you. Shouldn't say that. But including you, and we believe he's able to save us even from your furnace. And this furnace was so hot it killed the people standing around it. We believe our God is able to save us. You know what else they said? Even if he doesn't. They said that. It's better to obey him than you. We trust him even if he doesn't save us from your fire. Wow. They quenched the well. He did save them from Nebuchadnezzar's fire, as you might remember. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were strengthened from weakness. Samson, yeah, 
Gideon, Gideon's a good example. You know what Gideon was doing when the Lord talked, first spoke to him? Hiding. Hiding. In like a well, a cistern. He's afraid. The Lord calls Gideon. Gideon says, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You better prove it, Lord. The Lord proved it. We might read the story of Gideon and go, where's the faith? Well, the Lord called Gideon. He, the Lord's, Gideon said, well, show me. Do this. Do this. The Lord does it. And then he says, well, do it again, only backwards. And so the Lord does it again, only backwards. So Gideon finally gives in. Gideon raises an army to fight off the enemy that's invaded God's land. You know what God did after Gideon raised the army? He said, there's too many of you. Send them all home. So God defeated the enemy army, thousands, with a few hundred. This says they were strengthened from weakness. That's in the text we read from 2 Corinthians. We have this glorious treasure in jars of clay. Why? So that it will be clear that it's him and not us. So Gideon has too much of an army. So God says, give me less of an army and we'll do it that way. Then it will, nobody will be able to say it was by the strength of your army, but it was by the Lord your God. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. That's also Gideon. That's Barak. That's Jephthah. Jephthah, man, you should read that story in the book of Judges. It's stunning. Jephthah makes a deal with God. If you deliver my enemies into my hand, then the first thing that comes out to greet me when I get home, I will sacrifice to you. Jephthah lived to regret that vow. Because the first thing that came out to meet him when he got home was his daughter. And the scripture's clear that the Lord gave the victory in all these cases. We're reading this list and we're like reading these things of great things people did by faith. But you know, when you go and read the stories, it's not them who does the great things, it's the Lord. And the book of Judges is not a high point in the history of Israel. It's this roller coaster where the very first thing that happens in the book of Judges is they forget about God after Joshua dies. 
They forget about God and then trouble comes and then they remember to pray. And when they pray, the Lord responds quickly and he raises up someone. These are the judges. He raises up a ruler to defeat the enemy and rule over Israel. And they go up and down and up and down. I think it's like 13 times in the book of Judges. It's not a high point. And obviously Jephthah is not a man of great character. But he did trust God. It's possible that you are not a person of great character. It's not only possible, it's likely. You're not a person of great character. The question is, do you trust God by, by faith, by faith? Are you looking to see what God will do? Or are you trying to do what you can do? They became mighty in war. Barak is another example. You know, <laughs> Barak, the person, his partner was more famous than him. His partner is Deborah, the judge. And Barak, Deborah is a prophetess, and she says to Barak, go defeat the Lord's enemies. And he says, ah. That's, that was his literal reaction. Ah. Well, I'll go if you go. So she says, I'll go. And because you're such a chicken, sorry, she didn't say that exactly, but that's how I read it. You won't get the glory, but a woman will get the glory for killing this enemy king. And so, uh, you know, he, he goes. She goes. She finds the guy, drives a tent peg through his head while he's sleeping. And by the time Barack gets there, the job's already done. Barack is on this list. It's kind of an odd list. All these triumphant things were carried out by these I don't know. I guess maybe we just have to call them regular people. The last thing on the list is women received back their dead by resurrection. There's two stories of this, one with Elijah, one with Elisha. First Kings, Second Kings. All these triumphant things. And then we come to this part of the list. Others. Now we're talking about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets were tortured. These are things people did by faith. They were tortured, refusing release because they were looking for a better resurrection. There's a famous story that the Hebrews would have been familiar with in the second book of the Maccabees about Eleazar, who this is probably about. <clears throat> Others got the experience of mocking, scourging, chains, prison. Jeremiah the prophet, you know, prison. By God's people, he was imprisoned. By the kings of the nation, he was imprisoned because they didn't like what he said. They were stoned. Sawn in two. 
that's uh, the traditional story of how Isaiah died. You remember when Jesus complained to the nation of Israel about they're the ones who killed the prophets? You know, he wasn't kidding. And he told a parable about God sending prophet after prophet and Israel just, God sends somebody, they kill him. And finally he sends his son. And they kill him too. Well, anyway, we're going through this great testimony of these men of faith. They died by the killing of swords. Uriah the prophet and Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. They went about in skins, deprived, oppressed, mistreated, wandering in the desert, mountains, caves, holes, persecuted, pursued Elisha, Elijah. And the concluding statement of this text is these others who experienced all these things says the world was not worthy of them. By faith. So by faith we have this list of triumph followed by a list of tragedy. By faith. And the triumph was the triumph of not great people. They weren't triumphant because of their magnificent character, but because of the work of God who was doing what he was doing. Some experienced triumph, some experienced tragedy. Your life probably has some of that to it. There's some triumph and there's some tragedy. It's common human experience. But here is the most important thing to say about these people. All these. Though commended through their faith. Commend. Now this is that expression we read at the beginning of chapter 11. They obtained the testimony by their faith. What testimony is that? Well, let's just look back toward the beginning of the chapter. By faith, Enoch, this is verse 5, was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken... He was commended. Same word. He received the testimony pleasing to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The uh, testimony is uh, about Abel in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended. Same expression. It's the word for a witness, a testimony, like, you know, somebody gives a testimony in court. Who's giving this testimony? Who's the witness? God is. He was commended as righteous. God testifying about him, accepting his gifts. So all of these people, even though they're, you know, it's kind of a 
weird group. It's kind of a, they're not especially strong, mighty men of, you know. You read this list and you think, oh, these guys, they're like, they're like cartoon superheroes. No, they were not. They were used by God in miraculous ways. They trusted God, not always with great faith. And as we've mentioned, the thing about faith is not so much how great is it, how big is it, or how strong is it, but where is it? Who is it in? Because, you know, you could, if you trust God, God is the Almighty One, not you. So the issue is, if we're worried about some might or some strength or some power, the issue is, where where do I put my faith? Not how great is my faith, but where do I put it? Who do I trust? Not necessarily how much. I mean, Gideon, he's talking to the Lord and he's having an argument with the Lord, for heaven's sake. And he's saying, you know, well, can you prove it? That's not, you know, great faith. But his faith is in the right one. And God is going to do what God is going to do. And God is going to use Gideon to do it because Gideon trusts him. Gideon doesn't trust himself. He trusts God. Through faith, we obtain the testimony of God. This is what is written so clearly in the book of Romans about every last believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that when we trust in the provision of God in Christ, He credits that as righteousness to us. Same thing. And so when we trust in Christ, God gives the testimony, we could, if we wrote it the way they did here in this translation, we would say, God commends us. He testifies mine over us. Righteous in Christ is his testimony. Through faith, they obtain the testimony of God not by what they did. They did all these things because of their faith. All of these things were the consequences of their faith, but none of these things were the cause of the testimony. None. They don't have the testimony of God because they shut the mouths of lions. It's the other way around. You don't receive the testimony of God because you do anything. You receive it because you trust the one who gives it. 
Now, here's what they, he goes on to say. Through faith, they obtained the testimony, but they didn't receive what was promised. This is what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we noticed this expression, these all died in faith. These all died still waiting for what God has promised. They died in faith. They're looking for the city that God is building. If you look back in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, not the land from which they'd gone out. They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one, so God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. Now, these all received the testimony of God by faith, and yet when they died, God had still not delivered the thing promised. What's the thing promised? thing promised. I think we go back to Abraham. I will make you a great nation and <clears throat> out of that nation I will bless all the nations. How does God bless the nations from the nation that descends from Abraham? The answer is Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. To point to how He is the thing itself. He's not just another prophet. He's the thing the prophets promised. He's the answer to the question, how will God keep his promises to Abraham? Or any other promise he's made. That's why we read in Corinthians, in him all the promises of God are yes. There's no wishy-washy. If we read that promise that we read from Romans chapter 8, all things work together for the benefit of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose, for those He predestined, He foreknew, He predestined, He justified, He glorified, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. I'm messing this up so bad, i got to read it. Romans 8. We know that those who love, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to something. Here is the good promised. He also, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be firstborn among many brothers. The thing that God is, the good that God is working in us is our likeness to Christ. 
and not just each of us, but us together in the body of Christ. The promises of God are fulfilled in Christ, and we receive the promises of God in Christ through our union with Christ. Christ is the man to whom God keeps the promises and through whom he keeps them to everyone else. They were looking for the city still coming. And then he says this, they did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. God had something better in mind. That's what that word, the word provided means he'd made a provision for you. He, he's got a plan. He has a purpose in mind. And his purpose in mind is something better, and it's for us. Something better than what they got. And that is the fulfillment of the promise that they had not received. And the fulfillment of that promise in the person of Jesus Christ. We are now in the age in which we've actually received the promise. God had something better in mind for us. And he says, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Oh, so their, their completion, God's finishing of his work in their lives is in his finishing of his work in all our lives. He's perfecting us together. Now, it's at this point that we would notice that while we've received the promise in the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's still promise yet to be received. That there's something already accomplished and something not yet accomplished. We are in the age in the middle of the coming of Messiah, the, the one that delivers all the promises of God. So we also are like them in this sense. There are promises yet to come. And the real completion of the promise that is delivered in the person of Christ, Jesus, that promise is not completely delivered yet because we are still looking for the city that is to come. So some of what they experienced is like what we experience. We, are, we haven't been resurrected yet. We still suffer now. We still might experience triumph or tragedy by faith. And the question is faith. The question is always faith. In chapter 10, verse 10, we read this. By that will, we have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, 
once and for all. Once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made. Oh, he's waiting. But by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, set apart to him. So, you're already perfected in him. And when we come to the table, when we receive Christ, we receive Christ having received this perfection, this complete claim of God. God has said, out of the world into Christ. It's very interesting to go through and look at this, the use of this word perfected in the book of Hebrews. Christ himself was perfected by the things he suffered. We are perfected by the things he suffered. We're perfected and we are being perfected and we will be perfected. I wanted to say something about a, an application of this story, I guess. All these Old Testament saints who were looking for the promise of God, who acted according to their faith, even to some small degree in some cases, and received this, that, or the other thing. Some of them endured horrible things by faith. And I want to apply this like this. Trusting God means trusting God's perfect timing. Trusting God means trusting God. And so when God leads us through hardship, that is also the time for trusting God. And the scripture says, even those things God uses to produce conformity to the image of his son in us. Oh, Christ also went through it. We've read in the book of Hebrews, we don't have a high priest that's not able to sympathize. We have a high priest that's endured all the difficulties of life on this earth as a man that you have experienced and more to the very point of being unjustly crucified. Here's something the Bible doesn't promise you. Your best life now. The Bible does not say to you, if you trust God, everything will work out for you. Unless you mean everything will work out for you on the day of resurrection. Because then, it most certainly will. 
The scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. And some people take that as a promise that they should claim as in right now. So God owes me a healing, apparently, by, because of the suffering of Christ. No, not yet. But one day you will be perfectly healed in the resurrection. You are healed by the resurrection of Christ. You are whole already, and one day you will experience it completely, but not yet. And if we're going to talk about trusting God, we're going to talk about trusting God's perfect timing. He might lead you through some dark paths. And if he does, he has some great good purpose in it. The promise of God is being perfected in Christ. We've talked about this, these great promises. Full access to the throne of grace at all times. If you are in Christ, you can pray about anything, anytime, anywhere, and he is happy to hear from you. And he is addressing your need. That's the second promise. Perfect provision for all your needs all the time. But if you're trusting God, that means you trust his understanding of your needs, which is a deeper vision than you have. And the promise of resurrection to eternal life in the end, which is the fulfillment in Christ of all the promises God has ever made. So that means you might have some things to endure now, the text we read in Second Corinthians, Paul's talking about, we're, we suffer, we suffer, we bear the marks of the death of Christ in this life because we want to experience the life of Christ. Those all go together. Jesus said, the world hates me, they're not going to like you either. You're not one of them, you're one of mine. The scripture gives us an expectation of difficulty in this life. A promise of perfection to come. And the delivery of that promise in terms of now I can walk by faith in Christ in fellowship with the living God. And that is actually to be alive. When we come to the communion table, all we're doing is saying, yes, thank you. We're trusting the promise of God delivered in the body and the blood of Christ. We're trusting the promise of God delivered in the body and the blood of Christ. We know God is good because Jesus was here. And when we come to the table, we don't bring anything. We receive something. We receive the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Lord, we devote ourselves to him. We trust you in Christ and by the Spirit. As we come to the table, Lord, we give you thanks for the body of Christ given for us, for the blood of Christ shed for us, for the new covenant of grace that we experience, for the outpouring of the Spirit in the life of the church and in each of our hearts that communicates the love of Christ to us each day. Lord, we pray that as we gather around this feast, this great celebration of your goodness and grace, Lord, we pray, build up our faith, empower us by the Spirit to walk through whatever difficulty or trouble you might have for us and to see the future that you promised to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.